Are you people of extremes? I think we all have a tendency in our nature to do things in the extreme. For example, I have really dirty clothes. I don't, I don't normally wash clothes. That's not my job, nor is it my... I don't do a good job at it. But uh, every once in a while, I'll have some really dirty clothes from working, and I'll think, well, I'm going to help Sherry out. I'm going to wash these. So I throw them in the washing machine, and I pull the detergent down, and the detergent bottle says quarter of a cup of soap. And in my head, I think, these are really, really dirty. <laughs> so if a quarter of a cup of soap is good, more's got to be better, right? I mean, isn't that, doesn't that make sense to you guys? To the men. To the men in here. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah, can I get a witness? All right. You know? We tend to be people of extremes. And in Romans chapter 6 and in Romans chapter 7, Paul's talking about extremes. In Romans chapter 6, Paul posed the question in verse 1 and in verse 15, shall we sin that grace may abound? So what's he talking about? He's talking about, he's talking about an extreme. I mean, we get the, I'm, I'm saved, I got eternal life, I'm secure in that salvation, I can live however I, I want. And of course, Romans chapter 6 is about the fact you can't. You can't. Uh, we come to Romans chapter 7, and Paul now takes the argument to the other side of the spectrum, and he begins to talk about the believer's relationship to the law. And as we come to Romans chapter 7 this morning, Paul uses the term law 23 different times in these verses. If you look, there's what, 20, 25 verses in this short chapter? So almost once per verse, per verse, Paul is talking about the law. So what is our relationship to the law? You know, in our, in our journey, in our spiritual journey, as we reckon ourselves to be dead unto Christ, as we give ourselves to Him, as we yield ourselves to Him, surrender ourselves to Him, uh, we begin to see God work in just a, 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 an awesome way in our lives. If you could look back at your journey in your Christian life, can't you say, man, as I've given myself to God, I've just seen God do some, some marvelous, powerful things in my life and changing me and transforming me. And sometimes we have to be careful because in that journey, we get a little arrogant, a little proud. In fact, even in our journey, we can begin to say, you know, this is what spirituality is all about. And what are we beginning to do? We're beginning to set certain standards that we measure to say, this is, this is where I'm at spiritually, and if people are going to be spiritually, this is where they need to measure up to. And what happens is we find ourselves floating into a sea of legalism. Now, I want to define some terms here. Okay? Because there's nothing that troubles my soul more than when someone looks at somebody who has some higher standards than we do, or we, they have standards that we don't necessarily agree with. We are very quick to call them legalists. Right? And we are not using the term appropriately. Right? So what is, what is legalism? 
We, we, we hear that term often, but what is legalism? Letter of the law. So what's wrong with the letter of the law? What's wrong with keeping the letter of the law? We're under grace now. Pardon me? We're under grace now. Okay. So is the law not necessary? Yes. Okay. So, so, so what's the purpose of law? Keep order. Keep order. But when we talk about legalism, what is the purpose of law? Well, it's to show us that we need Christ. That okay. Are to show you're in the right standing of the law. Ah, there we go. Yeah. Law, legalism is taking law and saying, I have to measure up to this yeah. law in order to be right in right standing with yeah. God. In other words, my behavior, my actions and following the law make me right with God. This was this is what makes me a good Christian. Yeah. Okay? You see, now law in itself is not bad. We're gonna see that in Romans chapter 7, right? But what happens is we take law, just like we take grace and we move it to an extreme, we take law and we move it to an extreme as well. And we fall into legalism, right? So as we come to, to Romans chapter 7, Paul wants us to understand uh, the relationship between law and grace. My experience, and again, this is my experience, has been that people that have found themselves in the extremes of following the law or in what we reference as legalistic ministries, and, and, and trust me, there are some. Even within our independent Baptist churches, there are ministries that are legalistic. And my experience has been often that after a short time, people become very frustrated because they can't keep the law. And then what happens is the ministries become very critical and very condemning of individuals. And people say, what's the use? I can't do this. And so what do they do? Yeah, they leave church and they look for churches that have as their motto, hey, come do church, but not like your grandparents. Okay? You know, uh, Come to our church because God's more concerned with your heart than he is with the outward. Now, let me say something. That's a true statement. But in my experience, you know what I find when you talk to people? It's really not about their concern about their relationship with God in their heart. It's, it's about what they can do now. You know, they have the... the we, we, we guise everything with, with spiritual language, don't we? I now have spiritual liberty. Okay? And what happens is we go from one extreme to the other extreme. Right? And neither one of them are correct. And that's what Paul is addressing here in Romans chapter 6 and in Romans chapter 7. So he wants to give us some balance in our journey of sanctification. So let's pick up and our goal this morning is to get through the first 13 verses of this chapter. So in verse 1, Paul says, Know you not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law. So who's Paul addressing? Okay, Jews or, the, or even the proselyte Jews. Right? Because they're individuals that have known the law. 
Paul himself was a Jew. In fact, Paul's attitude toward the law before his conversion was one, I'm going to endeavor to strive to keep the law. In fact, Paul, even in his own testimony back in Philippians chapter 3, says, you know, concerning the law, I was blameless. Okay? I was all about the law. So he says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. Now, to a Jew, for the entirety of, the life, of their life, they had a responsibility of keeping the law. All right? Now, I think what we need to understand... Well, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, so the Jew, Jew, Jew is bound by the law. He's endeavoring to keep the law and believing that the law will bring him into right standing with, with God. So, so what we have here, again, is a continuation from the previous chapter. And in Romans chapter 6 and verse 15, when Paul makes the, the statement, should we abound in sin that grace may abound? And, and Paul says what? God forbid. And then he goes into an illustration and he says, we're to yield our, ourselves as servants to, to the master. All right? Now he comes here and he continues this discussion, but, but now referencing law, and he begins to use the reference of, or the illustration of marriage. Notice in verse, in verse 2. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. Marriage is what? What kind of covenant is it? It's a lifetime, lifelong covenant. So Paul is referencing back to this marriage, this marriage covenant. This one that, that uh, uh, recognizes the fact that, that I am bound to my wife. She is bound to me by law. That's, that's God's expectation for, for marriage. He then goes on and he says, But if the husband be dead... The woman is what? She is loosed from the law of her husband. She is no longer bound by the laws of marriage because that, that mate is gone. He's dead. Right? So now she is free in verse 2 to marry whoever she wants. So we, we find Paul says, So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. Right? We understand that. that. That really needs no explanation. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no longer an adulteress, though she be married to another man. Right? Now, that is, you know, if, if, if a spouse dies... And the remaining living spouse lives and remarries. We don't think anything of it, do we? In fact, we celebrate that. I was listening to a podcast this week, uh, 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 Dr. Bob Jones III's testimony and what God is doing in his life. Uh, some of you know he, got, he lost his wife, Benna, to cancer. Uh, he, he remarried yesterday. Okay? We celebrate that. Hey, praise the Lord. God brought another woman that he could love, so she could love him into his life as he continues his journey through life. Hey, and it, it, it's perfectly acceptable. Right? But how does this relate to law? Okay? How does this apply to the law? So what Paul does in verses 4 and 5 is now begin to bring application of this illustration to, to the Jews. So he says in verse 
For wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that we should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin which were by law did work in our members to bring forth bring forth fruit unto death. Before salvation, in verse 5, Paul says we were under the motions of, of sins. The word motions there means the idea of, of uh, afflictions or sufferings. Why were we under the affliction in the flesh? Why were we under the afflictions of sufferings of sin? Because our master or our authority was the law. And what does the law do? You stated it earlier. It points out to us we are sinners. All right? We are sinners. Okay? And because we are under the authority of the law, and the authority of the law says we are sinners, notice he says we then are going to bring, bring forth fruit unto what? Death. In other words, we're condemned. We are condemned. Now, looking at this marriage illustration in Paul's analogy, there seems to be a little bit of confusion uh, in regards to, to how he's making this application because we go, who represents who in this, in this particular illustration that, that uh, Paul is giving? Now, in verse 2, who died? Okay, the husband. All right, the husband. But in application, beginning in verse, in verse 4, it's not the husband that dies, but rather the wife does. And we get that from further explanation in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse 2, where, where Paul says, uh, As the bride, I'm going to espouse you, or I'm going to betroth you to Christ. Now, in order for the wife the wife to be betrothed to Christ if she's died, what has to happen? Yeah, she has to be made alive again. Okay? Now, understand something. In the Christian life, right? In the Christian life, when we trust Christ as our personal Savior, what is the picture that is given to us in Scripture? Go back to Romans chapter 6. Okay? Let's look at verse, verse 4. Okay? Wherefore, we are what? Buried with him into the baptism of his death. Okay? So when we trusted Christ as our personal Savior, we, conf we confessed and repented of our sins. We died to self, right? Okay? Then he goes on. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father... Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Why should we do that? We've been we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. We shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. We're made now alive. So now we come into union with Christ. But when we die, now remember, verse 5, we are under the authority of the law. If you, are in if you are in prison for a crime and you die, what are they going to do with you? Bury you. 
In order to bury you, they got to take you where? Out of prison. You are no longer under the authority of the prison jail cells. You are dead. They're going to bury you. Okay? So just as we died, we were removed under the authority of the law. Follow me? And we were brought into union with Christ. Notice in verse in verse uh, uh, 5, Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that we should be married to another. Who's that other? Even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So that last phrase is speaking now, we're no longer under the law, but now we are in, in Christ. Right? So Paul is making this argument. We don't have to live under the law. The law doesn't have dominion over us anymore. So now the Jews have the question. Verse, uh, in verse 7, well, what's the purpose, purpose of the law? Well, notice... Notice in verse 6, even though we're delivered from the law, we serve in newness of spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Okay? So dying to the law means that I am free from the demands of the law as an impersonal system for approaching God. Salvation has always been Old Testament and New Testament by grace, through faith. Always. Romans chapter 4. Abraham had righteousness imputed to him. Why? Because he believed God. Abraham believed, therefore righteousness was imputed unto him. So salvation, Old and New Testament, has always been uh, by grace, through, through faith. Alright? Now, is it true... Is it true that keeping the law perfectly will merit you life? Yes. Even Jesus said that. You keep the law, you keep every bit of the law, you're going to have life. Okay? You're going to have life. But what, we, what we're going to find as we, as we journey through here is, is that we can't keep the law. All right? And so now a curse is placed, is placed upon us. All right? Now, Paul speaks of the fact that, that I can be dead to this law and I can serve, I can serve God. But here, here's what the law does, and, and we're going to pick up in verse uh, 7 right, to help us understand what is the purpose of the law. Right? So he says this, what, sh what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Okay, there's that strong negative again. There's nothing wrong with the law. In other words, can I say this in our vernacular, in our 21st, there's nothing wrong with standards. Absolutely not. We've talked about this before. There's nothing wrong with rules. You know what? We enjoy, we enjoy life at its fullest when we have boundaries. I may have used this, I, I use this illustration a lot, particularly with, with my, my students. In our former school, in Michigan, we had a, a couple. We had two different campuses, and uh, in, in a period of our, our greatest growth, we had had to bring some elementary students over to our high school campus. And the only place we had a playground for them was behind the 
the main auditorium, which was a blacktop playground, and then you had the curb, and then you had a road. And so uh, when the students who got there, they were first graders, the teachers would see a car coming down the road, and they, they would blow the whistle and say, a car's coming. And all the kids would go, and they would run to the wall until <laughs> you know, the car came by. And then they would go back and they would play. Okay? Now this would happen all the time. It got to the point where the teacher didn't even have to blow the whistle anymore. The kids would just see the car. Someone would yell, car, and everyone would go, ah, and run back to the wall. Well, we thought, well, maybe to make things a little easier, we would put a fence up along the curb there. We knew that it would not stop a speeding car, but it was a boundary. Because what we did want to happen, we weren't so concerned about the car coming up into the playground as we were about the six-year-old running out into the street. So we put a fence up. Okay? Wow, with the fence up. The teacher would blow the whistle. She'd yell, car, and you know what the kids would do? They would just continue to play. You know why? You know what that fence provided to that student? Boundaries, and in boundaries there was safety. So there's nothing wrong with rules and boundaries, right? So when Paul comes here to verse verse 7, he says, is the law bad? Is it sin? No, it's not. Okay? Now he begins to tell us what the purpose of the law is. And Paul says this, he says, if it had not been for the law, I would not know what sin was. Okay? I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Now, I want to I point something out to you about this whole aspect of legalism. Okay? Because legalism focuses upon the external. Go to Exodus chapter 20. Okay. Now the first five commandments deal with man's relationship with God. Thou shalt have no graven images. Thou shalt have no other gods. Thou shalt not take God's name in vain. Thou shalt keep the Sabbath. Okay, All of these have to do with man's relationship with God. The last six deal with man's relationship with man. Honor the father and mother. And then notice in verse 13. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And then verse 17, the last one, the tenth one, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet your neighbor's manservant. You shall not covet your neighbor's maidservant. You shall not cover, covet his ox. You shall not covet his ass. You shall not covet anything that is your neighbor's. Now let me ask you a question. 13, 14, 15, and 16, we find commandments 5, 6, 7, I'm sorry, 6, 7, 8, and 9. How are those four commandments different from the last commandment? Okay. What is covetousness? 
Okay, let me go ahead. I heard it here. In your heart. Okay, it is a desire that finds its place from your heart. What is killing, stealing, lying? These are things that I do. Can I say this? Coveting causes us to kill. Coveting causes us to commit adultery. Coveting causes us to steal. Okay? What is Paul saying? He says, I would not know, I would not have known the sins of the heart if it had not been for the law. Because Paul goes back, you go back to Philippians chapter 3, and I, I just mentioned it earlier. Paul says, concerning the law, concerning the law, I was blameless. I was blameless. I didn't kill. I didn't commit adultery. I didn't steal. I didn't lie. And in Paul's mind, he was what? He was in good standing with God. Let me give you another illustration. Go to Mark chapter 10. Verse 17. This is the story of the rich young ruler. In verse 17, we find that when Jesus was gone forth into the way, there came one running unto him and kneeled to him and said, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? There's none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Notice them. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor thy father and thy mother. And this young man answered and said what? Master, all these I have observed from my youth. What can we tell about the character of this young man from these verses? He's a pretty good guy. You know, in the South, in the South, what I find, you know how we would, we'd say, that's a good Christian boy. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's how we would describe him in, our, in the South here. Oh, that's a good, that's a good Christian boy. He is a good person. But what does Jesus say? Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, one thing you lack. Go thy way. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and he went away grieved, for he had great possessions. All right? Now understand something. God sees beyond the external and he sees into the heart. What did he see at the heart of this young man? What he had. Greed. Covetousness, covetousness, okay? How do we know that? Because the young man went away grieved because he had much. He was sorrowful. He did not want to give up that which he had because he had a covetous spirit. And I, I make that point to say this. Again, we focus so much on the external. And let me say this. <coughs> we often misquote this verse, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. You know, when, when people are, 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 are uh, getting on our case about stuff, you know, and condemning us for stuff, what, 
Judge not, lest you be judged. Okay? You know, that's scripture. Right? Now, in this case, this is right because the condemnation was, you Pharisees, you're judging man by your own external standards. And you're not to judge that way. Now, we do that in some of our circles. Now, Jesus isn't saying it's wrong to judge. Right? What makes judgment wrong is when we use the wrong standard. Okay? We can use the right standard to judge. <coughs> huh? I had a young man in my office this past week. I said to him, you know, obviously there's something not right with your relationship with God. The scripture says your fruits are going to bear out who you are. The fruits you're manifesting are not bearing out Christ. Now, that wasn't anything that I said. That was what Scripture said. So there is a, there is a place we can judge. But we're not to judge by the external. Okay? And this poor young man, because he was unwilling to, even though he was outwardly good, he was unwilling to deal with the heart, he went away as an unrepentant sinner. There's a lot of individuals I'm fearful in our churches today who are so wrapped up in keeping external standards that they forget about the heart and they walk away from God as unrepentant sinners. And maybe even some of them to a, to a condemnation of death because they're so intent in embracing the law and keeping the law. So what does Paul say? This The law, the law showed to me I was a sinner. In fact, when Paul came to grips with who he was, not the blameless Pharisee, when Paul came to grips with who he was in, before Christ, he said in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, I am the chiefest of sinners. And if we're honest with ourselves, we all have to step back and say, before a holy and just God, I am the chiefest of sinners. The second thing Paul says about the, and I think this is, it's, it's not humorous, but to me it was humorous because I've, I've experienced this on both ends of the spectrum. But notice he says, but sin, taking occasion by the commandment. Okay, here's the law. The law says, thou shalt not. What did it do? It wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. In other words, it brought out, it brought out wrong desires. It brought out wrong actions. You know, there is something about human nature that just makes us want to rebel. You see a sign hanging on a post. It says, wet paint, do not touch. What do you do? <laughs> what do you guys do? Check it out. You, you check it out, you touch it. Why? Because you're rebellious. <laughs> Huh? We're rebellious. You know what? There are times I've gotten frustrated with, with students. And I've stood up before students and I've said, all right, the next time this happens, this is what's going to happen. And I walk out of the room and every time I say, that was the dumbest thing you could ever say. You know why? Because one of them's going to do it. Without fail. One of them will do it. Why? It's just human nature that says, you know what? When there's a commandment not to sin... We sin. And that's Paul. Paul says, there's the law. 
It says, don't do this. And what do I do? It arouses this desire to, to engage in, in concupiscence. Okay? Wrong desires. Right? Um, so, so the law... The law shows to us we're sinners. The law arises sin in our heart. And you know what the law also does? It destroys us. Notice in verse, in verse 10. And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. For sin taking occasion by the law deceived me and by it it slew me. Paul wrote in Galatians, he said the law is our schoolmaster. Now, in the context of that particular passage, when he makes reference to the fact that the law is the schoolmaster, he's not speaking of the fact that the law is the teacher. In context, in, in, in this particular setting that Paul is writing in, a schoolmaster was the individual that took the child to the teacher. What does the law do? The law shows us we're sinners and that we need to come to God. Why? Because what does the law do if it doesn't bring us to Christ? It condemns us. And it condemns us to an eternity separated from God. So Paul says, the law shows to me I'm a sinner. <laughs> shows to me how sinful I am. Right? Because I, I act upon the law. I rebel. It shows me my rebellious heart. And where that rebellious heart leads to is death. But it's not because the law is bad. Right? Notice he says in verse 12, Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Where do the laws of don't be idolaters, have no other gods before me, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, where do those come from? <coughs> Pardon me? Well, those are the Ten Commandments. I mean, I'm giving God, the, where do those Ten Commandments come from? Where do they find their roots? Okay, they, can I say this? They are rooted in the character and the nature of God. Right? We're talking about, we just finished talking about ethics in my senior, in my senior uh, Bible class. Where do different worldviews get their ethics? Ethics is a how do we determine what is right and wrong? How do we live? Right? In an Islamic culture, right, a Muslim <clears throat> cannot truly know Allah. In other words, they cannot have a relationship with Allah, which is an Arabic term for God. They can't, they can't know God. Okay? Now, they can know his decrees and they can know his commandments. They don't know why he gives those. Or they're, they're just simply arbitrary. They're just what he's deemed he wants done. In Christianity, in a biblical worldview, we do what we do in, in an ethical fashion determining what is right or wrong, because not just because the scripture tells us, but because of who God is. God's moral commandments are rooted in his nature. So when he gave us the law, it was rooted in his nature. Notice the description of the law in verse, in verse 12. It says the law is holy. It is just. Right? Where does holiness and justness come from? It comes from God. So the law in itself is good. So what's bad? Let's go to verse 13. Was in that which is good made death unto me, God forbid. Right? 
In other words, did the law all of a sudden become bad to make me look bad? No, absolutely not. There's that strong negative again. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. What Paul is saying here, in word pictures, he says, we understand sin is sin. But you know what we don't understand? Is how sinful sin is. Amen. I made a mistake. You know, it's just a weakness. I got a weakness. No, folks, we have a sin problem. The problem is not the law, the problem is us. It is our heart, it is our sinful nature. And that sinful nature is not eradicated by keeping laws and external standards to help me become more like God. That will frustrate us. But our victory and our growth and our sanctification comes as we yield ourselves to God. We identify ourselves with Christ and we give our mind and our heart and our thinking to Christ. The difference between the law, it's all about me. In grace, it's all about God. Right. Um, see if I can, I can find it real quick. It's in, I think it's in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Yes. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we as some other epistles of, of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as you are manifestly declared to be an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, not written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, the transformation of my life, my, my testimony that is lived out is not, not something that I'm doing, but it's something that God is doing. Because he says, it's not about tables of stone. The commandments were written in stone, given to mankind for him to obey. And, and we find out man can't obey them. But he says it's in the fleshy tables of the heart that we find our victory. And Paul says this is what the law does. It shows to me I'm a sinner, shows me I can't do it myself, and it shows me that I have to give up myself to the God of heaven to enable me to do the vic have the victory over sin that God wants to give to me. We have to recognize our sinfulness, though, and the struggles that we have, and then we have to, again, yield to it. So, so the law is good. Standards are good. And I'm not here to diminish standards in any way, shape, or form. But the keeping of them solely for the keeping of them to have a right relationship with God is the wrong motive. Right? We ought to live, live our lives in the power and the might of Christ to enjoy and experience the victory that he wants to give to us over sin in our life. We're going to come back next week and we'll look at the struggles Paul has because of the same struggles as I have. I could pen the rest of that chapter too. Right? And it's those famous verses, the things that I should do, I, I do, and the things I shouldn't do, the, the things I shouldn't do, I do, and the things I should do, I don't. Okay? And we'll come back and talk about that next week. Any questions as we close this morning? Uh, yeah, we won't. Uh...
be perfect. I don't care how much we try, we won't be perfect till we die. Absolutely, but we always need to be striving Amen. to be holy and perfect in Amen. Christ. We'll, we'll never reach that, but that's that's the, the goal. Because we're, we're preparing ourselves for heaven. This is just a journey getting us ready for heaven. Yeah, this right. is the prelude to life right now. Okay, We're at the prelude of life. <clears throat> Right? The preface of life. You know, you got a preface in a book. This is the preface to life. We really don't start living until we leave this old world. Amen. Amen. Your lesson reminds me again that actually, when you see a person's life that's living under legalism, and you see a person's life that's living under the freedom that we have in Christ, there shouldn't be too much difference in the outward look. Correct. It's the way that their attitude is. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. You know what I found a lot of times, what I'm finding and seeing, again, my experience, mm -hmm. churches that tend to be legalistic tend to be dead places. Okay? The life has been pulled out from them because they're trying to do it themselves. They're ignoring life because life is in Christ. And that's where joy and, 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 and grace comes in. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity to study the scriptures. Lord, this has been a challenge to me in my own life to understand and, and realize the seriousness of sin. And I'm thankful that you've given us your word, your law, to point that out to us. But God, I'm thankful that we don't have to keep the law to have life. I'm thankful, God, that you love me so much that you sent Jesus Christ into this world to become sin for me. And that he bore <laughs> my sin upon himself on Calvary's tree. And I'm thankful this morning, as a young boy, I was baptized in the death of Christ and raised in newness of life because of the resurrection of Christ. And my prayer this morning, that every individual in this room today, every individual on this campus today, would know that their identity can be in Christ. And if it's not, that today would be their day of salvation. Today would be their accepted time. God, help us not to live for the praise and exaltation of man, but Father, help us to find ourselves in Christ each and every day. And Lord, to allow you to work in a powerful and mighty way in our lives. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. You folks have a wonderful, wonderful day.